Scripture reading this morning will come from Deuteronomy chapter 3, verses 23 through 29. And I pleaded with the Lord at that time, saying, O Lord God, you have only begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do such works and mighty acts is yours. Please let me go over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, that good hill country and Lebanon. But the Lord was angry with me because of you and would not listen to me. And the Lord said to me, Enough from you. Do not speak to me of this matter again. Go up to the top of Pisgah and lift up your eyes westward and northward and southward and eastward and look at it with your eyes, for you shall not go over this Jordan. But charge Joshua and encourage and strengthen him, for he shall go over at the head of this people, and he shall put them in possession of the land that you shall see. So we remain in the valley opposite of Beth Korah. You may be seated. Good morning. So good to be together this morning. What a beautiful morning God has given us to worship Him. I tell you, I've been encouraged by the singing today, by the prayer that we were able to offer up. Appreciate that prayer. By the time we were able to spend thinking about our Lord, thinking about the price that He was willing to pay for us, and and now to spend some time in Deuteronomy chapter 3. I'm grateful for you. Grateful that we're able to be here together as the family of God. If you have your Bibles and you're not already there from our scripture reading, go ahead and turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 3. Deuteronomy chapter 3, and this morning we're going to spend some time looking at verses 23 through 29. If you have your Bibles and you'd like to follow along with me, Deuteronomy chapter 3, verses 23 through 29. This is a picture of me and my sister whenever we were a little bit younger. I don't want this picture to deceive you. We didn't always get along that well. Like all siblings, we we had our fights, we had our spats sometimes. But I remember a time whenever we were even younger than this. My grandmother would oftentimes come up throughout the week. She lived about an hour away. She would come and keep us whenever both of our parents were working. And on this particular night, she was cooking dinner. Me and my sister were there in the kitchen with her while she was cooking. My sister was probably four or five years old at the time. And out of nowhere, she asked our grandma, Mimi, which is, which is what we call her, Mimi, can I have a piece of chocolate? Okay, parents and grandparents, what is one of the main rules about little kids whenever it comes to dinner time? No dessert before dinner. You can't eat chocolate before dinner because if you do, you're going to end up spoiling your dinner. So, of course, my grandmother told her, no, you can't have any chocolate before dinner. It's about ready. Once we sit down and eat, if if you eat your dinner, then maybe you can have some chocolate. My sister didn't get mad. She didn't scream. She didn't cry. She didn't throw a fit. Instead, she put her little hands together. She bowed her head and she started praying. She said something like, God, please let Mimi give me a piece of chocolate. 
I don't want to wait till after dinner. I want a piece of chocolate right now. Well, guess what? She still didn't get a piece of chocolate. Yeah, she, she still didn't get it. Her prayer was heard. Her prayer was answered. But it just wasn't the answer that she wanted to hear. Her prayer was heard. Her prayer was answered. And the answer was no. You can't have any chocolate right before dinner. This morning, I want us to think about a reality that I'd say all of us have experienced as followers of Jesus. Sometimes, you're going to be praying for something. And it's going to be something that you really want. Something really important to you. And you're going to be praying diligently for it. You're going to be praying in faith, trusting that God is able to grant your request, trusting that God is able to do exactly what you're asking Him to do. God will always hear that prayer. God always hears the prayers of His children. But sometimes, God is going to answer saying no. Have you ever been there? Have you ever experienced that? Sometimes God says yes. And we should be grateful for that. Our hearts should overflow with gratitude whenever God says yes to our prayers when we're praying for something and, and God grants that request. It's an amazing thing. Sometimes God answers prayers by saying yes, but you need to wait a little while. And so we think that He said no, but then you fast forward a few months or you fast forward a few years and it turns out that He answers that prayer in the exact way that we asked it. But then other times, you're going to be praying about something that you think to be really important. And you're going to be asking God for what you think to be the best. Not just for you, but for everybody around you. God's going to hear that prayer. And He's going to answer it by saying no. When you look at this text in Deuteronomy chapter 3, what if I were to tell you that Moses knows what that feels like? What if I were to tell you that Moses knows exactly what it's like to hear God say no? As we approach the book of Deuteronomy, as a result of what took place in Numbers chapter 14, whenever the Israelites exited from Egypt because of their disobedience, God caused them to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. During that 40-year wilderness wandering, everyone over the age of 20 died. That generation passed away because of their disobedience to God. So when you come to the book of Deuteronomy, of course it's a book written by Moses, it's set within the last few months of that wilderness wandering. They're on the border of the promised land. Remember the promise that God made to Abraham all the way back in Genesis chapter 12? To your descendants, I'm going to give this land. That promise is about to become a reality. They've been wandering for 40 years. They're about to cross over the Jordan River into the land that God promised to His people for hundreds of years. Moses is speaking to a new generation of Israelites where the oldest person would have been about 49 years old. As they're entering into the promised land, Moses has some things he wants to remind them of. Really three things. He wants to remind them, number one, of who God is. He wants to remind them, number two, of what God has done for His people, especially since the Exodus. 
He wants to remind them, number three, of what God has required of them. What God has commanded them to do according to the Mosaic Law. When you look in Deuteronomy chapter 1 through Deuteronomy chapter 4, Moses is talking a lot about history. The events that have taken place in the nation of Israel since the Exodus as they've been wandering in the wilderness. And it's in the midst of that conversation at the end of Deuteronomy 3 where we see Moses having a conversation with God. I want us to divide this text into two different parts. First, we're going to talk about Moses' request in Deuteronomy chapter 3, verses 23-25, through 25, the request that he makes to God. And then together, I want us to notice God's answer to that request in verses 26-29. through 29. But let's begin with the request. Let's begin with what Moses asked for in the first part of this text. Reading throughout the end of Deuteronomy 2 and into Deuteronomy chapter 3, Moses is talking about the great victories that the Israelite nation had. He's talking about the victory that they had over King Sihon. The victory that they had over King Og. How they were able to settle down in in the land of those kings east of the Jordan River. The Reubenites, the Gadites, and the tribe of Manasseh took control of that land. And so as Moses thinks about that, as Moses thinks about the amazing things that God has done for His people, and as he's on the border of the promised land, thinking about the amazing things that God will do for His people, notice the request that he makes in verse 25. He says to God, Please let me go over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, that good hill country in Lebanon. Moses is requesting He's asking God. He's begging God. God, please allow me to enter into the promised land. Please allow me to enter into that land that is flowing with milk and honey. Why did Moses have to make that request? Would you remember what happened? Numbers chapter 20, verses 1 through 13 at the waters of Meribah. The Israelites didn't have any water. As they were wandering through the wilderness, as always, they were complaining, they were grumbling against Moses, against Aaron, against God. What did God tell Moses to do? Speak to the rock, and water will flow out from it. Is that what Moses did? No, Moses didn't speak to the rock. Instead, in his anger, he struck the rock, not once, but twice. Water still flowed out from it. But immediately after Moses did that, God spoke to both Moses and Aaron and said, because you didn't honor me, because you didn't believe in me, because you did not treat me as holy in front of the people, I'm not going to allow you to enter into the promised land. He says, I'm not going to allow you, Moses or Aaron, to enter into the land that I've promised, into the land that's flowing with milk and honey. Well, when you come to Deuteronomy 3, a few years have passed. Moses has experienced God doing some amazing things. And maybe Moses is thinking that God has changed his mind. Maybe God is willing to go back on this. Yes, God has already spoken. Yes, God has already told me that that I'm not going to be able to enter into the promised land. But but maybe He's changed His mind. So He makes this request, God, please allow me to enter in. Notice the the urgency of His request in verse 23. The Bible says, Moses, talking from his memory, says, I pleaded with the Lord at that time. This is not just a request 
that Moses is making. Maybe us using that word discredits it a little bit. This is not Moses casually asking for God for something that he wants just a little bit. No, Moses is begging God. He's pleading with God, please allow me to enter into the land that you've promised to your people. Notice the motive behind his request in verse 24. Moses is not making this request from selfish reasons. He's not making this request because he wants to live a little bit longer. He's not making this request because he wants to hold on to his leadership position a little bit longer. Now look at verse 24. He says, O Lord God, You have only begun to show Your servant Your greatness and Your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do such works and mighty acts as Yours? Moses has seen God do some amazing things in the last 40 years. And he recognizes he's just seen the tip of the iceberg. He's only seen the beginning of what God is able to do. And so Moses makes this request, please allow me to enter into the promised land. He's on his knees begging God, pleading with the Lord, allow me to enter in because I want to see how you're going to continue to work. I want to see the amazing things that you're going to do. The powerful acts and the mighty works that you're going to do among your people. From unselfish motivation, Moses makes a request to God. He's begging God, allow me to enter into the promised land. Please change your mind about this. When I think about Moses' request, it makes me think about our request. Isn't it amazing to think that we have the opportunity to present requests to God? It's amazing to think we're broken, sinful, limited human beings and we can make requests to the all-powerful, all-knowing Creator of the universe. That's a thought that just blows my mind. God wants to hear about what's going on in our lives. God wants us to talk to Him about the desires of our heart. God wants us to talk to Him about what we're struggling with, what we're going through, the trial that we're having to endure. At least that's what Paul says in Philippians 4 and verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Listen to what Paul's saying. Don't be anxious about anything. He says don't worry about anything in your life. He says instead of worrying about everything, pray about everything. Be anxious about nothing. Instead, let your request be made known to God. Talk to Him about what you want. Talk to Him about the desires of your heart. And Paul says in the next verse that the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. 1 Peter 5 and verse 7 says that we can cast all of our anxieties on God. Not just some. There's not a limit to this. We can cast all of our anxieties on God because He cares for us. And then 1 John 5 and verse 15, if we know, this is not something we're shaky on, this is not something we're unsure about. If we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of Him. God wants us to talk to Him. 
He wants us to make our requests known. He wants us to talk to Him about the desires of our heart. Whenever we go through difficulties, He wants to hear about what we want. That's amazing to realize. But then consider that that's only half of the message. Here, Moses makes a request to God. God's going to have the opportunity to answer in verses 26 through 29. Join me there. But the Lord was angry with me because of you and would not listen to me. And the Lord said to me, Enough from you. Do not speak to me of this matter again. Go up to the top of Pisgah, which is also called Mount Nebo, towards the end of the book of Deuteronomy. He says, lift up your eyes westward and northward, southward and eastward, and look at it with your eyes, for you shall not go over this Jordan. Verse 28, but charge Joshua and encourage and strengthen him, for he shall go over as the head of this people, and he shall put them in possession of the land that you shall see. So we remained in the valley opposite Beth Peor. Moses makes a request to God. It's a request from unselfish motives. It's an urgent request. God, please, I'm begging you, allow me to enter into the promised land. If you had to sum it up in just one word, how does God answer Moses' request? Sum it up in just one word. Moses makes a request to God And God says no. Don't you realize who Moses is? Moses is the one who stood in Exodus chapter 3 in front of the burning bush. God is the one who called him from that burning bush. Moses is the one who stood boldly and courageously in front of Pharaoh, one of the most powerful people in the world, and proclaimed the Word of God. Let my people go. Moses is the one who stood with the staff in his hand. And when he held it up, the the waters of the Red Sea parted down the middle and the Israelites were able to walk through on dry ground. Moses is the one who led the children of Israel for 40 years through the wilderness wandering. Moses had intimate conversations with God. The text says that he talked with God face to face as a man would talk to his friend. God describes him in the book of Numbers as the meekest, most humble man on earth. And so when Moses makes this request, when you come to the end of verse 25, maybe you're expecting God to say yes. You know, I have changed my mind on this. Because you've been such a faithful leader, and because you've done it in such humility, I'll allow you to enter into the promised land. But the opposite is what happens. Moses makes the request, and God says no. And He doesn't just say no. He says, don't ever talk to me about this again. Don't ever make this request again, Moses. The answer is no. Have you ever been there? Have you ever experienced that? I don't know what you might be thinking of in your life where you prayed for something so diligently and God said no. Where you made a request to Him and never happened. But when I think about my life, whenever I was a junior at Freed Hardman, 
I started working as the associate minister at Red Walnut Church of Christ. It's just a congregation about 30 minutes away from Freed. That's the congregation that I came from to come here to Seven Oaks. I was working as the youth minister. Our preacher at the time was a man named Stan Mitchell. He was a missionary for many decades in the country of Zimbabwe. When I came to Freed Hardman, he'd been working as a professor in Bible for, I think, like a decade. I know he'd been preaching at Red Walnut for about seven years whenever I started. And in just those seven months, he became such a mentor to me. He taught me so much, not just about preaching or, or ministry or being a minister. He taught me about life. He taught me about what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. There's Friday in February of 2019. He was on Freed Hardman's campus. He was delivering a box of materials to a building on campus to send those materials to a missionary. And whenever he came out of the building, whenever he walked down the steps, he had a massive heart attack. He collapsed. It was during the time whenever everybody was in class. So no one was really there to help him. I, the doctor said that he probably laid there with no oxygen to his brain for 10 to 12 minutes. Eventually somebody found him. They called the ambulance. The ambulance took him to the hospital in Jackson. And he stayed in the hospital for two and a half days. The doctors were doing everything that they could to wake him up. The problem was not with his heart. His heart would have been able to recover. The problem was his mind. Because his mind, his brain went so long without oxygen, he, just, he had no brain activity. So like I said, the, the doctors and nurses were trying to do everything that they could to wake him up, but far beyond that. Far beyond doctors, far beyond nurses or medicine or procedures, hundreds of Christians were praying. I was praying every free moment that I had, I wasn't the only one. The entire campus of Free Hardman was praying. The church at Red Walnut was praying. I had somebody come up to me, you know, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. I had someone come up to me during the span of those two and a half days, and he said, Tyler, I, I never knew what that meant. I never knew what it meant to pray without ceasing until this event happened just a few hours ago. We even had a prayer meeting at Red Walnut one night where the night he had his heart attack, we prayed for two hours for his healing, for him to recover, for his family, for him to wake up. Then you fast forward to the end of those two and a half days. The doctors and nurses came in to his family and said what nobody wants to hear, there's nothing else we can do. So they pulled the plugs. He died within just the matter of a few moments. There's a lot of things that get me about that story. But I think what gets me the most is that hundreds of Christians were praying for him to get better. Hundreds. God heard every single prayer, every single request, every time that a Christian prayed. He heard all of it. 
And he answered by saying no. It's not like we were praying for it for selfish reasons. He's a preacher of the gospel, a missionary, a teacher, professor of Bible at Freed Hardman. We were praying for him to get better so that he could continue to spread the gospel. But God heard all of those requests over those two and a half days and answered every single one of them by saying no. Have you been there? Have you experienced it? Hurts, doesn't it? Maybe sometimes it, feel like, it feels like God isn't listening. It feels like God doesn't care. It feels like God isn't interested. Us praying so diligently for what we think to be best and then hearing God say no, I think is one of the hardest things that we can experience as children of God. But then when you look at this text, it happens. We make a request. God says no and it hurts. But how should we respond to it? Whenever we pray and whenever God says no to those requests, how should we respond? What should we do? Let me suggest to you that whenever God says no, we have to trust. And that's the key word. There's not anything you're going to be able to do there's not anywhere that you're going to be able to go. There's not anything that you're going to be able to read or anybody that you're going to be able to talk to. When God says no, we have to underline it, put it in bold, put it in italics. We have to trust. We have to put our faith in the fact that number one, He has a reason. He had a reason with Moses. When Moses made that request in verse 25, in verse 26, Moses understood why God said no. He said, God said no to me because He was angry with me. He was angry with me on account of you Israelites. God didn't say no to Moses because He was being mean. God didn't say no to Moses because He didn't love Moses anymore or because He wasn't concerned for Moses anymore. God said no to Moses because He had a reason. In His infinite knowledge and infinite wisdom, when God says no, we have to trust that He has a reason. We may never know what that reason is. We may never be like Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 3 and verse 26, but that's where trust comes in. We might not ever know the reason why, but we need to trust that God does have a reason why. You know what he says in Isaiah chapter 55? My thoughts aren't your thoughts. My ways aren't your ways. And so our thoughts, our ways, our requests don't always match God's. What's the difference? For as high as the heavens are above the earth, he says, so are my thoughts higher than your thoughts and my ways higher than your ways. When God says no, it's not because He's being mean. It's not because He doesn't love us anymore. It's not because He doesn't care about us. It's not because He's not interested. When God says no, we have to trust that in His infinite wisdom and in His infinite knowledge, He has a reason. Number two, when God says no, we have to trust that He still shows grace. He showed grace to Moses. Moses made a request. God said, no, don't ever talk to me about this again. But then when you look at verse 27, he says, go up to the top of Pisgah. Go up to Mount Nebo, Moses. And look to the north, south, east, and west. Look at the promised land. You're not going to be able to enter into it. 
but I'll allow you to look at it. In January of 2020, Leslie and I had the chance to visit Mount Nebo, to stand on top of it, the place where they believe Moses stood and, and looked over the promised land at the end of the book of Deuteronomy. Perhaps this is some of what he saw. Did God have to do that? Was God indebted to Moses in some kind of way? Was God required to allow Moses to view the promised land from on top of this mount? Of course not. God God didn't owe Moses anything. God wasn't indebted to Moses. But even though God said no, He still showed grace. He still allowed Moses to go up on top of Mount Nebo to see the promised land. And when you read the last chapter in Deuteronomy, that's what he does. It's the very last thing that he sees before he dies. God didn't have to do it. But even when he said no, he still showed grace. Whenever God says no to us, maybe sometimes it's tempting to become so focused on just that one occasion. I made this one request... And one time, God said no. And so He doesn't love me anymore. He's not concerned about me anymore. He doesn't care about me anymore. Think about it like this. For the one time that God said no, how many times has God said yes? God said no that one time. He did. And and it's going to hurt. But think about all of the ways that He continually blesses our lives the spiritual and physical blessings that He rains down on us every single day, even when God says no, He still gives to us things that we don't deserve. He still shows us grace. Did you just take a breath in? Did you just let it out? Even though God said no, He allowed you to take that breath right then. He still shows grace. And then number three, when God says no, we have to trust that He has a plan. He had a plan in verse 28 for His people Israel. Moses was going to be the one who led them out of Egypt, led them to the border of the promised land, and then at that point, Joshua, his assistant, his servant, was going to take over. And Joshua was going to lead them across the Jordan River, west of the Jordan River, into the land flowing with milk and honey. He was going to be their their commander-in-chief as they conquered various people groups. God said no to Moses because he had a plan. And so he told Moses, what you need to do now, if you want to be a part of that plan, strengthen Joshua. Encourage Joshua so that he can lead in the way that I would have him to. See, our problem is that when we look at time, we are so limited. We only see just this one moment in time. God's not like that. God doesn't have those restrictions. When God looks at time, He sees both the past, the present, and the future in just one glance. He's higher than we are. He's greater than we are, and He has a plan for His people. Maybe the reason that God said no is so that He could advance that plan. Maybe the reason that God said no is is so that new opportunities could present itself. Maybe He said no this time so that He could say yes the next time. We have to trust that God is in control that He's sitting on His throne, and that He has a plan. Okay, now take a minute to step back from this text. What should we learn from it? What should we take away from it? Number one, let's make our request known to God. Let's talk to Him. 
Talk to Him every day. Set apart time in your day to talk to God about what's going on in your life, what you're struggling with, those desires of your heart, those things that you want more than anything else. But then also realize He's not going to say yes every time. Just because you ask for it doesn't mean that you're going to get it. Sometimes God is going to say no. The fear of God saying no might tempt us to hold back. Now think about it. If a teenage boy thinks he's going to be rejected by a girl, you think he's going to ask her out on a date? Probably not. And we have that same kind of mentality with God, don't we? If I think God's going to say no, then I'm not even going to ask. Make your request known to God. Don't hold back. But realize sometimes He's going to say no. And it's going to hurt. And then even when He says no, even though we might not ever understand why He said no, Let's make the decision to trust Him. To trust that He has a plan. To trust that He still shows grace. And to trust that He has a reason. Alicia, I'm not trying to take anything from you here, but I saw a post from the Good News Shop just a few days ago. I guess this is maybe free advertisement. There's a sign in the Good News Shop that I thought went so well with what we're talking about today. I believe in the sun even when it's not shining. Don't you? I believe in love even when I can't feel it. Don't you? I believe in God even when He's silent. Do you? Do you believe in God even when He's silent? Are you willing to trust Him even when He says no? Maybe you need to place your trust in God this morning. Maybe you're struggling with Him saying no, and, and you'd like for us to pray for you. We would love to do that. Give us that opportunity as we stand and as we sing.